Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you, we do praise you for being an awesome God. Uh, we can't say that enough or sing that enough, and it's amazing that we as a church just like to lift up our voice and to say, you're an awesome God. I pray that your spirit would be here today, working throughout us in this room, in this place, opening our hearts and minds to know you in a deeper, stronger sense than ever before. I pray, Father, that you would change our lives, that we would uh, understand the things that Luke is trying to convey to us, Father, that the power of the Spirit is something completely different than the things of this world. And uh, as uh, Luke is starting to outline to us the situation that's in front of us today and back then, that uh, our lives would be changed because of it. Help us to understand. We ask these things, Father, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'd give you an intro introduction to the book, but Luke does it himself, so let's read it. Chapter 1, verse 1. He's going to tell you a lot of stuff here in these first four verses, but he says, Inasmuch as many have taken it in hand to set in order a narrative of those things which have been fulfilled among us in the here and now, just as those who from the beginning were eyewitnesses and ministers of the word deliver them to us, it seemed good to me also, having had perfect understanding of all things from the very first, to write to you an, a, a, an, orderly, an orderly account, most excellent Theophilus. Why? He says, that you may know the certainty of those things in which you were instructed. So Luke is telling us, and we're going to find out a lot of things about Luke, but what he's doing is, is he's uh, 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 writing a letter to this guy, Theophilus. Theophilus was a guy, and we'll get into that in a little bit, but he was obviously a Gentile, a Greek name, Theophilus. Luke is also a Greek. He is a, a, a Greek-minded person anyway. We're not exactly a lot about sure of some of his background and how things started to happen. But Luke is coming up and he's going to do something completely different if you were with us the last few weeks than what was happening to uh, uh, the book of Ecclesiastes where you had Solomon and Solomon was the preacher. He was coming up and we said you preach to the sinners and you teach the saints. So the last few weeks we've been talking about someone who says, look, you don't understand anything about God, but let me start to explain a few things about why we even have to believe in God. Well, Luke comes off from the completely different standpoint and says, look, we're understanding that you are a, a, a believer in God, and I'm only giving you a compilation, some ideas of some of the things that have happened in my life. So Luke's a Gentile. He's the only Gentile writer in the whole Bible. The Bible is 66 different books, if you would. Forty different authors are made up together of them over 1,500, different, 1500 years. There's a lot of little books that are all compiled and said, this is good. Luke's the only non-Jew. He's a Gentile. And what is he doing? He's saying, well, first off, I wasn't a witness to these things. I, I, he was not one of the disciples. He wasn't one of Jesus' followers. He didn't walk around with Jesus. What he did do is he walked around with Paul, the apostle. He was actually Paul's physician. If you understand the story, if you're following and understanding that Luke and Acts 
are the Gospel of Luke, the, the Acts is the, the things that happen after the Gospel. Jesus died and resurrected, then Paul the Apostle comes onto the scene. And you're starting to see that, that, that Luke is saying there's, there's a time when you get into chapter 16 of the book of Acts where the terminology starts to change. Instead of everyone saying, they did this, they did this, they did that, now all of a sudden you start to see in chapter 16 where we did this, we did that, and we went here. So obviously, uh, after Paul was beaten and stoned in Lystra, uh, he then picks up a doctor <laughs> in Troas, and then he goes on to Macedonia. So Paul is taking a, a doctor along with him, and Luke is his personal physician. To, and, and as he's hearing and he's understanding the things of the Apostle Paul, he wants to explain who this Paul is. The book's written to this guy, uh, Theophilus. Interesting who this guy was. Uh, Theophilus is an interesting word. Theo is the Greek word for God. You know, uh, Phileus would be a word for love. So Theophilus could mean this guy, lover of God. It could be a specific person or friend. It could be just the name that happened to be there. And so he's, and Luke's trying to tell this guy, Theophilus, that uh, this is what happened. It could be a play on words, and he's saying, hey, anyone who's a lover of God, if you're interested in these things, I want to tell you my story. My story is as it picks up a little later in the end. Uh, I personally think that it leads a little bit more towards Theophilus was a guy that was probably in charge of understanding who Paul the Apostle was and was probably somewhat in the process of assimilating information or having some type of decision making on whether or not they were going to kill Paul. And Paul was eventually going to be uh, killed and, and beheaded in Rome. And so what Luke is saying is saying, wait, before you kill this guy, Paul is not a nut. Theophilus, and I want you to understand exactly who Paul the Apostle is. And as he's running around and you got everybody hating him, uh, there's, there's a thing you need to understand about Paul. And so, and hence, if you believe that, then poor Luke has to say, well, in order for you to understand who Paul is, you have to understand who Jesus is. So he writes two full books. The first, part one being, this is the story of Jesus. Part two is saying, this is how Paul started his life and what he was doing, and this is why Paul acts this way, because if you understand Jesus, you can understand Paul. So it's a part one, part two. But please bear in mind, and it's very important as you start to read this book, he's telling you up front that this book is not something that I've seen. It's not something that, hey, I can tell you that I'm just writing scripture down. He's not saying, thus says the Lord, God told me to write this. What he's telling you is he says, look, there were eyewitnesses. I've heard a lot of the story going around. And he's saying, this is the best of the story as I've got it. So here he's writing, let's just say there's different arguments on when this was written around 60 AD, 70 AD, 80 AD, blah, 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 blah. Obviously, it's got to be after the Paul story. Paul was, and that could be all argued whether or not Blah, 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 60, 70, 80. You can go through that whole argument. But it's post-Jesus. So, obviously, during the time of Jesus, you know, people saw Jesus. They understood what was happening. It was a very visual thing. They saw him resurrect from the dead. They saw him after his resurrection. They saw him ascend to the heavens. 
And everyone just spread the word. Nobody took the time to write things down. And I suppose a lot of the story was conveyed through word of mouth, sitting around the campfire at night and saying, man, did you, did you know Jesus and when he said this and when he said that? And he's telling you, he says, hey, look, we've all heard the, the stories. Now, Theophilus, you're somebody that needs to know something, so I'm going to take the time to just kind of write all the stories together. And he's telling you that. Now, Luke is going to be one of the synoptic Gospels. The synoptic Gospels, meaning they're all similar, the same, they're in harmony together. And that's Matthew, Mark, Luke, right? Uh, the three synoptics. The oddball out would be John. And John just kind of recreates a whole different approach to Jesus. John was somebody who was one of the apostles, and he knew Jesus intimately. He was the closest of all the apostles. Matthew was one of the apostles, but you also have Mark. Mark was not one of the apostles. Mark was just one of the young, dumb kids hanging around in the group. He was probably one of the kids, and he watched things happen, and then he became a missionary with Paul, and then he says, let me tell you my story as I heard things. So you're watching a strange compilation of things, and what you're seeing is the story of Jesus, and for what it means to you and I, it means that, hey, this is the general story of how and what Jesus said and done, and this is what was going around at the time, and it does perfectly balance out with Matthew, who was there, and Mark, who was there kind of, but not in an official sense. And it shows you, to me, that the stories that were going around at the time, shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and people would say, oh, it's just, you know, a fairy tale, and it got exaggerated. You know how one story goes, and it was exaggerated and exaggerated and exaggerated. Well... No, because you're seeing that there's so much similarity between Matthew's account and even Luke's account, saying that people labored very hard to say, let's really record what Jesus had said and done. And so it's a, an important story for us that he's, he's a Gentile. He's telling you, this is just the stories that I've heard. And he's speaking to the lover of God and, and, and he's saying, hey, Theophilus, I want you to understand, because when we get into Acts and you start to see, you know, the Holy Spirit going through Paul and the Jews and the Gentiles and how they're fighting and why that they're fighting, you got to understand these things. These are critical to you and I, so, you know, we appreciate this. We're going to get into this and we want to look at it and appreciate the, the things that, that uh, it says and does. And, and for so many people who attack the Bible... Uh, one thing is, is you've got to remember that when the certain parts of the Bible, just like we went through Ecclesiastes a few weeks ago, that was, if you notice, he goes, I'm the preacher, and I'm, tell I'm an old man, and I'm telling you the way that I see it. He's not saying, thus says the Lord. He says, these are the words of the preacher. There's certain times in the Bible where he says, I'm just giving you some common sense. Now, all of a sudden, Luke's even saying, I'm just giving you an orderly account that I could compile to make the best sense out of what's happening here to tell you the story. And there are times in the Bible where it says, thus says the Lord, where these are the words of God. And you can get into, you know, the, really the only seven letters that Jesus ever wrote were to the seven churches in the book of Revelation. And you have to see that there are times when you're reading 66 different books. Some of them are poetry, some of them are history, some of them are different things. You, you take what you can out of that. And you want to look at this and say, hey, 
we have to be careful when we attack something as history or so many people want to and you weigh it out and look at it. And, and Luke is only trying to make an appeal to say, let me tell you the story. And as you know the story, then you can sit down there and come to your own conclusions. Personally, I'm sick of critics of the Bible that have never read the Bible. And usually it's only so painfully obvious that they've never read the Bible. I've read the Bible backwards, forwards, upside down, and taught it a couple times through the whole thing. And I have some serious questions. When I get before the Lord, I'd like to ask the Lord a couple questions. Uh, uh, and there's some things that I don't quite understand. But, but to attack the Bible for such stupid, ludicrous things, the way that people have attacked the Bible, and they just carelessly throw it out the window as rubbish without even understanding the, the petition, the, the, the challenge that it's making. And notice what he's saying. I have come to a place of perfectly understanding these things. There's a time in, in Luke's life where he's now saying, I've come to understand what this God thing's about. I've looked at this and I've, I've analyzed it and notice what he says. I've come to a perfect conclusion and I'm telling you something that I've arrived there that once you understand what it's saying, you're filled with the Holy Spirit, then all the questions that you have seem to be answered. A lot of people want to ask a lot of weird questions about the Bible. Hey, you want, you want Jesus? Get on your knees. Ask Christ to fall, you know, and to come into your life. And when Christ fills you, everything makes sense. And, and Luke is saying, hey, I've been there. I've understood how this story ends. And I can tell you that as I've walked with Paul, the things that I've seen and trusted Christ with my life, there has been a huge change in my life. So he starts his story in verse 5. And we come upon a strange text, if you would, but I guess if you've got to start at the beginning, this is where Luke calls the beginning. He says, There was in the days of Herod, king of Judah, a certain priest named Zacharias of the division of Abijah. His wife was of the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. They were both righteous before God, good people, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. Couldn't make an accusation against them. But they had no child, because Elizabeth was barren, and they were both well advanced in years. Two good people, loved the Lord, never had a child. Now they're in their advanced ages. So it was that while he was serving as priest, before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. Now you're seeing here a, a priest, and what happens is there's a, a change in events of how the priesthood was actually run, and actually the guy who really changed it all around was David. So Moses, 1,500 years ago, before Jesus shows up, he started the whole priesthood with 
Aaron, his brother, they were all Levites, and he said all the Levites are going to be the priests and the high priests, and they're, they're going to take care of the temple. And, uh, and what happened with David after the kingdom grew and was getting to be so large and there was now thousands and thousands of Levites all over the place is what David did is he set it all up into basically 20 different rotations. And he said every family, he broke down the major families and put down all the people and they said everyone gets a, a two-week rotation at working in the temple. So if you're a Levite, is what you do is you go out and work the farm, do what else you got to do. But for two weeks, you'd come in and you'd be part of the temple workers, if you would. And what's basically being said here is this guy, Zacharias and his wife Elizabeth, that came to their two-week rotation. And you could just see that they're all sitting around and what he's saying, the lot fell on them. And, and it's like, well, whose turn is it to go in and light the candles that morning? You know, they, oh, it's my turn. I get to go in and light the candles. The, his lot fell on them. So they're all outside saying, here, who gets the long straw? And, oh, I got the long one. Hey, guys, you know, and you can tell the rest of the family, I'm going to go in and light the candles. Woo! So, so he's excited, and that's all he's saying. He's serving as a priest. He's pulling the order of his division according to the custom, a custom of the priesthood that David had set up. And uh, it's his turn to go into the temple of the Lord. So he's a nice guy, a little bit old, doesn't have kids. And he says, verse 10, And when the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense, so all the rest of the people go, well, our guy Zacharias is in there. Let's all pray for him because he's in there lighting the candles, the incense, the little burners of, you know, the smoke that was supposed to rise up. He says, then, bam, an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. So he's going in there. He says, man, I get to go light the candles. And he's up there lighting the candle and... Wow, you know, all of a sudden, there's an angel there, right? He says, he's standing at the right side. And when Zechariah saw him, he was troubled, and fear fell upon him. <laughs> you could just see him. I was just happy to light a candle, man. All of a sudden, there's an angel right there. And the angel said to him, hey, 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 don't be afraid. Hey, Zacharias. He says, what? For your prayer is heard. What's that? Hey, you haven't had a kid. He says, your prayer is heard, and your wife Elizabeth will bear a son to you. You're going to have a child. And you shall call his name John. This is going to be John the Baptist. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. Notice what it says, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's going to be a, a guy that God's going to be proud of. And he shall drink neither wine nor strong drink. So as a dad, you're saying, hey, my kid's not going to grow up to be an alcoholic. That's okay, you know. But there's a little bit more to it than that. He's saying that he's going to be a righteous man, a man of power. And I would suppose that he would at least have a clue to say that's what kind of happened to Samson. Samson was a man that uh, was told to have what's called the Nazarite vow. Don't drink any wine, fruit of the vine, or even strong drink, or even grape juice. Nothing. And don't cut your hair, and blah, 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 blah. And you're going to be set aside and holy to the Lord. You're not going to alter yourself. You're not going to corrupt yourself. You're going to be God's vessel. And so this angel, Gabriel, is coming up and he's saying, hey, he says, he says I'm telling you that this is going to be a, a, a child that is going to be very special. He's going to have strength. Notice he says, he will be filled with the Holy Spirit 
even from his mother's womb. This kid's going to be set aside to be something markedly different. And he will turn, right, make converts, turn many people of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, which he's going to do. He's going to run around and tell everyone to repent and that they're sinners, and he's going to run around and scream. And he will also go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. So Gabriel's coming up and he's going to speak some, some prophecies here. And he says, this guy, John the Baptist, is going to fulfill a couple things. To so the, the, the priest at the time, I would suppose he would reckon a, a, a couple of prophetic verses to be fulfilled here. One of them obviously is going to be uh, uh, Isaiah 40, where you're going to see one that's going to come to make the road ready to prepare the way of the Lord. And then you're also seeing the last prophet of the Old Testament, Malachi, stood up and said, before the Messiah comes, you're going to see Elijah, the prophet, come back. That's the last verse in the Old Testament. Look out for Elijah. So if, if here's the last thing a prophet said 400 years before poor Zacharias is standing here, it's the last thing of the Old Testament. Now we're starting into the New Testament, if you would. He says, for 400 years we haven't heard anything other than to look for Elijah. Now all of a sudden an angel comes up speaking to this guy and he says, hey, your kid's it. Your kid's going to come in the power, in the spirit of Elijah. So he's going, wow, this is intense. Now, poor Zechariah, he's been given a blessing but he says in Zacharias, verse 18, said to the angel, well, yeah, right. How should I know this? Uh, excuse me, but I'm an old man and my wife is well advanced in years. Uh, I'm sorry, I think we're a little bit past our prime for having children. Uh, I'm not looking forward with an awful lot of hope about what my kids are going to do. I'm starting to resign myself to the grave at this point. And the angel said to him, I'm Gabriel who stands in the presence of God and was sent to speak to you and to bring you glad tidings. I just told you some good news. Man, you just threw a wet blanket on it. He says, but behold, I'll tell you, you will be mute and not able to speak until the days these things take place. So you're just not even going to say a word. And now, you can look at that and say, well, that'd be a neat sign to reaffirm that if you're a parent maybe you have a kid and you think this is going to be something special and if you actually went out and go I, I want to speak I'm not just mute because I'm I'm taking a vow of holiness to be quiet I'm you're going to see him he's just screaming but he can't say a word and maybe now when he says, when this kid's born, well, now I'm going to raise him a little bit different because I know for nine months of, you know, my wife carrying this kid that I know that there's something special about my kid. And so you could look at that as almost a blessing. But this is not meant to be a blessing. Gabriel saying, he says, but behold, you will be mute and not able to speak until the days these things take place because you did not believe the words which will be fulfilled in their own time. 
You, you should have had good news, and this is now becoming a curse to you. You missed something. God was speaking. I came to tell you something good, and you threw a wet blanket on it, and here you are, you're scared, you're afraid, and you're missing the things that God has for you. And of all things, you're thinking, man, this is Zacharias. He's a priest. And you can see his shock and fear of walking into the temple and actually embracing, oh, gee, God. He's not even getting God at this point. He's getting an angel, Gabriel. And he can't handle that. That's sad. That's disgusting. Now, a little bit about the temple. This was, temple was big building, had an altar in it, had a little candle of incense with a little menorah in it. They had big bathtubs to take a wash in so you'd be cleansed and Oh, they had all these little things set up so you'd go to the temple. Well, Moses gave us that temple, and at first you see that the temple wasn't really called the temple. It was called the tabernacle. But really, what's even stranger is the term of the tabernacle, before it was called the tabernacle, which became the temple, was actually was called the tent of meeting. So Moses, when he would go out to the tent of meeting, he would go out and see God, and he'd embrace God. It says that Moses went out and spoke to God as though face to face. Moses would turn around and he would say, man, i got to go you know, take up some petitions. These people are getting on my nerves. He'd go out to the tent of meeting and say, God, you and I need to sit down and have a chit-chat. For some strange reason, the concept that Moses had of what was to be the temple was first that, man, i got to go in there and find God. I'm going to go in there and meet God. I'm going to go in there and see God. Well, now it, it then progresses to become the tabernacle, which is a little bit more official and a little bit more stable, and they could move it and do different things, and da-da-da-da-da-da-da. And then all of a sudden it becomes the temple, a little bit more bigger, a little bit more stronger, a little bit more solid in its foundation, a little bit more colder, a little bit more indifferent. And the visions, the visions of the Lord became a little bit more infrequent. And you go, what a sad pathetic story to think of the priest coming in there and you could just see him hey it's my turn to light the candles Woo! and God's like you, want, you get to light the candles whoop-de-doo and here he is he sees an angel and he goes whoa and he's like I, whoa, I didn't expect to see anything of God in here I didn't want to see an angel what's that doing in God's house <laughs> can you, you know Hey, you're going to have you know, the Messiah everyone's waiting for. You're supposed to be a forerunner. You get to be the parent of the forerunner. Oh, no. Come on. Hey, no, no, you're joshing me. Come on. Prove it to me. And the angel's like, shut up. <laughs> shut up. You fool. You're missing God in God's house when he's doing something. How can you, how can you miss this? <sighs> and the people waited for Zacharias and marveled that he had lingered so long in the temple, verse 21. Whatever happened to him? But when he came out, he could not speak to them. <laughs> and, they and they perceived, hey, gee, that he had seen a vision in the temple. And he beckoned to them. He's waving with his hands, but he, he remained speechless. He was trying to communicate. And he was, he, 
So it was, as soon as the days of his service were completed, he finished his two-week tour of light and candles, but he departed to his own house. He goes home now. Now, after those days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. So trying to explain that to your wife on how you're trying to have relations with her in a mature manner, as uh, in the biblical sense, I guess they say, and, and, and not being able to speak. And his wife's like, hey, get away from me. And, and so now all of a sudden she comes up pregnant, and so she hid herself for five months. And she goes, I don't even want to begin to explain this trip. But she knows in her heart, and she says, thus, thus the Lord has dealt with me in the days when he looked on me. God's watched me. And all the time, all the other people, you know, had all their kids, and she had to go to all the baby showers, and she could never have her own one for her kids. All the pain and all the suffering. And finally, she says, to take away the reproach among my people. So, you know, I may be late, but I'm, I'm having a kid. And, 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 and she's, she's saying, God saw my, my heart. God saw the pain that I went through of being barren. What a term. So the story continues. It says, it says uh, now in the sixth month of uh, the angel Gabriel, the sixth month of what? The sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy. So six months later, Gabriel's back on the job again. He says, now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent by God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph. So, jo so Gabriel's got another job to go speak to another couple. But this is a, of a, a virgin betrothed, which is engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. So of the, they're of the right lineage and of the priesthood of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And having come in, the angel said to her, Rejoice, highly favored one! The Lord is with you! Blessed are you among women! But when she saw him, she was troubled at his saying and considered of what manner of greeting this was. So she's looking at this guy like, what is your trip, right? <laughs> is, this, is, this some, is this some sales pitch to, to sell me a vacuum here or something? Oh, hail, favored one, mighty one of God, blessed are you among women. Dude, you know, what are you saying? She's looking at this and she's trying to understand it and she's, she's trying to consider all these things. And the angel said to her, don't be afraid, Mary. For you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bring forth a son. Hey, this is just like the last story in a sense. And shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the son of the highest. And the Lord God will give him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there shall be or will be no end. So, hey, to anybody who's got a clue, you're saying this is strong terminology of the Messiah. There's been a promise of Messiah since Adam and Eve. There was a promise of the Messiah that's dragged through the whole Old Testament. And finally it comes down to David. And God's telling David, a great king, thousand years before this happens, and said, one of your descendants will be the Messiah, the Christ, the chosen one, the one that is going to save the world. The angel comes up and says, Mary, it's the time and it's the place you're going to have the Messiah. Anybody that would understand the language here would go, what? 
I'm going to have a, at first Mary's going, what are you talking, I'm going to have a kid? <laughs> then Mary said to the angel, wait a second, how can this be? Since I do not know a man. Let me go back to the basics, Gabriel. Uh, you know, you've got to have relations and I'm betrothed, I'm engaged, but I'm a virgin. And now she's, she's questioning, she has her doubts and her reservations, but she's seeking an answer. The angel answered and said to her, well, this is how it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the highest will overshadow you. Therefore also, the Holy One who is to be born will be called the Son of God. Now, there's a strange concept, but he's saying God's going to embrace you. He's going to overshadow you, and you are going to conceive a child of God. And he says, now indeed, Elizabeth, your relative, has also conceived a son in her old age. So Mary's going, what? Aunt Elizabeth is having a kid? This is strange. And he says, and now... This, uh, and, and this is now the sixth month for her who was called barren. That was her reputation, the old barren lady. He says, uh, for with God, nothing will be impossible. Ohio State motto. No, the state of Ohio's motto. <laughs> Wouldn't want to confuse that. <laughs> Then Mary said, Behold, the maidservant of the Lord. Now listen to what she says. Let it be to me according to your word. And then the angel departed from her. Now if you read these two stories, you find it fascinating. There's a lot of things going on here. But there's a comparison, if you would, between poor Zacharias who came in and had some doubts and questions in his mind. But yet, because of... His skepticism was given the curse of being muted. Yet you watch Mary, who is going to be blessed, and even though she had doubts and skepticism, yet she was willing to come to a point in her life where she was able to say, if you say so, God, then that's fine with me. If this is God's plan and you're an angel, Gabriel, then I can accept that. God works with our skepticisms, our doubts. God understands that we have reasons to, to look at things and, and, and wonder why and how things came about. And it's okay to prod and to really look for an answer. There is a huge difference when people rip something apart in ignorance because they don't even want to believe, even though they should be people that believe. God's watching us. God's listening. Some of the things that you're hearing is that as it come, the Gabriel came, he says, hey, God sees your prayers, Zechariah. I'm watching you. And so many times we get this weird, weird, warped perspective of God watching us that he doesn't care about us. You guys ever see the, the Muppets? I don't know if it's the show or Sesame Street or whatever it is. I can't quite put it together. One of their movies. But in the Muppets, they always got, they used to always have these two hecklers up on stage. The two old men sitting up there. <laughs> and, and somehow or another, we always seem to view that God is one of those old men up on the stage. And just, you know, here we are. We're, we got the, the, the you know, we, we have to live our life and God's watching us. And he's up there just heckling away at us saying, how can you guys be so stupid? And what's wrong with this? And what's wrong with that? And did you see that Dave Brown? Man, is he messed up. 
And, and, and we have this view that God is always trying to attack us. And what Luke is trying to do, he's trying to do a couple things, but he's trying to get us the view that, wait a second, God sees and hears our prayers. He sees the, the blight that we have of our barrenness, that we're empty and alone. And what he's saying is he's saying, God is not up there heckling you. God is coming to come upon you to be involved in your life and he cares and he's not up there ripping you apart. He wants to come alongside you and to be with you. King David, who could say, Yea, through I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And when we understand that God is with us and he's not up there heckling us, then we have a completely different approach that we can say, well, okay, God, if you're here with me and you're God and all things are possible, then let's just let it ride. Let's have some fun with this. Let's let it go. I can, I can believe that all things are possible because I know you're with me. Now, if it's you're up there heckling me and you're expecting me to do some great thing, I failed, Lord. I failed miserably. But I need you, Lord. God wants to get involved with you and I. What, what you're seeing is, is I, I look at Luke as he's approaching a letter. He's starting off something, and you go, this is a little different start than the way Matthew started or you know, Mark starts or John starts. They all start the gospel. And, and what I think Luke is trying to do, it's almost, I, I get the feeling, the flavor of, he's starting this book just like you start the book of Genesis. The book of Genesis, the very beginning of the whole Bible, in the beginning, God, right? It says, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Interesting second verse. He says, the earth was without form. This is Genesis. And void. And darkness was on the face of the deep. So when you read Genesis, you're seeing God's there. Okay, it, oh, God. And then you look at the world, and, and, and the, here's the world. It's, it's dark and cold and barren. And you're looking at this and say, what a waste of a globe floating through space, if you would. The darkness was on the face of the deep. And, and then the next part, it says, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. So here's the world, this dark, miserable, wretched place. And in comes God. God comes in and starts hovering over it. And he says, I want to do something here. I'm going to start a whole new work. I'm going to start a whole new process. Here comes life as life is going to begin. And God says, I want to get involved and I'm going to start to create. I'm going to start to do wonderful things and light and trees and, and fish and birds and man are then brought into the planet because God wants to get involved. And I look at it as almost the same thing as you're seeing now the barren landscape, the barren landscape of a priesthood that should know God but doesn't know God. You're looking at a group of people that are lost and cold and miserable. A group of people that if they saw God stare them in the face, they wouldn't believe it. And God doesn't turn around and says, well, let's just flush them all down the toilet. He turns around and says, no, no, I'm going to get involved. I'm going to do a wonderful, mighty, powerful work to change something. And now the question is, is saying, how are these people going to respond when God is getting involved in their life? 
The world is a miserable, wretched, barren place. Barren is a, such a strong word. When you think of a woman that's barren, you think of a land that's barren and desolate. I can remember we used to, out in Arizona, first time I ever went to California, it was kind of weird. I, I was in the Rockies as you drive across. And there was three of us guys in the Marine Corps that were driving across. We got stationed in California. We said, oh, let's all drive out together. And I can remember I was with everyone for a while. And if you've ever been from here to California in a car, let's just say you, uh, you see some nice corn for a while and pretty soon it gets real boring <laughs> for a long time. And then you go into the Rockies, into the mountains, and you're going, oh, this must be what California's like, you know, all these huge mountains and all this type of stuff. But California should be really cool. And I can remember I fell asleep in the back of uh, this guy's car. And uh, it was a Mustang GT. And, uh, and, I, and I woke up and everyone said, hey, we're in California. And I look around and says, man, California, oh, this is so cool, such a cool place. But if you come into the first border part of, out of Nevada, let's just say, you wake up, you look at California, you go, there's just barren rock everywhere. <laughs> you go, this place stinks. It's like, and you're like, well, these are mountains all around us. And I go, no, 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 this isn't a mountain. A mountain, I grew up in New England, a mountain, you know, it's got a little snowy peak on it. It's got all these trees all over it, you know. That's what a mountain is. You go to California, you go, oh, that's a mountain. You go, it's a big pile of dirt. And you go, this is just, this is just a big sandbox. There's, there's nothing here. The land is barren. And you've got to really drive almost until you come, well, it used to be about 100 miles from the coast, and then all of a sudden it gets green and lush and pretty around Southern California. And, and, and I can remember I was in Arizona, and, and I said, I'm going to climb to the top of those, you know, one of these things up there. There's got to be something. I want to get involved. I don't want to just look at this thing. And me and my friend, we, we parked our car, and we hiked up the top of this, you know, mountain. We hiked and hiked all day, and you get up there, and there's nothing there. There's just a bunch of rocks, and you're going, this stinks, you know. <laughs> And that's barren, that's emptiness, that's desolate. And God comes into a barren, empty, desolate land. And God says, I can bring forth life into this barren world. And, and what God is doing is he's saying, and what Luke is doing, he's bringing this into the fold. And he says, there's so much there. There's so much to life. God wants to, to meet us. And if you compare that and, and look at the two where you can say, hey, here's, here's life coming at you. And Zacharias is there and says, ah, it's, it's not there. Well, if you look at, if you look at Mary, and, and Mary is, there's, there's a, a contrast. You look at Zacharias, he's old and grumpy. I don't believe it. You look at, Mary, she's budding, blossoming. She's, she's ready to take things on. There's something about youth and its ambitions. You ever go up to a kid and say, hey, what do you want to be for when you grow up? Well, you know, I'm going to get, you know, my medical degree and cure AIDS, and then I'm going to tour the world, and then I'm going to, you know, be a rock star, and then I'm going to, you know, hey, everything's open. <laughs> you go to an old guy, hey, you want to do, ah, yeah, shut up. One's full of faith, believing, and the other one is putting something down. And there's that change where it comes down to you and I, where we say, hey, you know what, God? God's hovering over you and I. He's hovering over the room. 
He's hovering over you and he wants to do a great work. And now as the Holy Spirit comes down upon you and you can sit down and says, hey, do I want to receive this? And so many people just go, get that, get out of here. What's that God thing? He's, he's, he. How many people, when they come to church, they, they, they walk into the, I don't want to equate this to the temple because there's a world of difference between a church and a temple. But making the analogy that if this were the temple of the Lord, that when you walked into the temple of the Lord and you came in and says, you know what, I'm just, I'm just, I'm going to get there. I'm just, I want to get there early. I don't want to miss a minute of it. I want to see the excitement. I believe that when the Holy Spirit comes down here, we're going to have a spiritual experience and God's going to do wonderful things. And I'm just looking forward to meeting the Lord. And I'm so happy that I made it through the week that I can come to church on Sunday. And how many other people, they walk into the room, yeah, well, Glad I'm here. I hope the pastor, you know, pronounces the words correctly because I'm tired of... <laughs> Ain't going to happen here. <laughs> and here's my buck and leave me alone now. God, show up, you know, I want... Well, and, and, and God's working and, and so many people just brush him right off because they've entered into the scenario with such a hard heart. And, and, and God's not going to be able to do anything. It leaves us mute, mute before God. You will be silent. You will be, you will be the one suffering for your ineffectiveness. Now, it's amazing. God's work will be completed with or without you. Child's going to be born. You're going to be mute through it. Child's going to be born whether you like it or not, Mary. This is what's happening. But the response is, is whether Mary, and we'll get into this next week because we're going to end it here, Mary who can be filled with praise and saying, wow, let it be done according to your way. I want to enjoy all that I can. I want to be open to the things of the Holy Spirit. So as the Holy Spirit comes down upon us, it's hovering over you and I, and now comes an opportunity as he's saying, I want to do a great work in your life. Are you going to be part of it or are you going to miss it? You're going to be destroyed and you're going to you know, have all these things be destroyed. God wants to do wonderful things in our lives. Zacharias, interesting name of a man. Zacharias, Zachariah, means God remembered. God never forgets. God wants to do a work in your life. God sees your life and he sees your plight and he's trying to do something. Now I know my mother when she named me she named me a biblical name, and, you know, she said David, you know, and she said, you know, well, I hope that when the kid grows up, it might spark some curiosity in him to find out what David means in the Bible. He ever, he said, hey, this is my namesake, and I do, I go, hey, this is my name, I want to know everything I can about David, that's me, uh, I, you know, it's, she goes, well, hopefully I will get, well, maybe Zachariah's mom, I'm going to name you Zachariah, so maybe you could read the book of Zachariah's son. Understand what he said. Zechariah said, hey, powerful verse. Not by might nor by power, but by my spirit. Did you hear that? Son, your namesake, the prophet a few hundred years ago said this. And you go, here's somebody who's clueless, inept, and should know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God was working in his life. He was shocked to death over it. And all I'm trying to say is, you know what? You're a child of God. God has called you. God wants to do a work in your life. If you can understand some of the things that I've said today, you should have a clue that God cares about you. And God is trying to change you and to mold something inside of your life. And all I can beg you as we watch this story is don't miss it. 
Don't miss the things that the Lord has for you in your life. And so many of us just rip it down and shut it down and become critics. We don't even know what we're talking about. We're not even open to what God can do in our lives. Please, investigate scriptures. You can have questions and we can debate about things all day long. But be open. Be open to the things of the Lord as we go through Luke. And more importantly, be open to the Holy Spirit that's hovering over your heads, reaching down and wanting to do a work in your life today. Chris said, let's not walk out of here the same person that we came in here as. So Lord, I want to I embrace you, Lord. I want to be a changed person. Amen? Amen. Let's stand and close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, we do thank you and praise you because you are here. You see, Father, and you care about us. You are not aloof. You are not heckling us, Father. You want to be involved. And Father, as our lives can become barren, as we're stuck in a routine and a ritual, I pray, Father, that we'd always recognize your hand, your touch, your words, your voice. Father, help us to know you and not be afraid of you. Help us not to throw you and discard you, Father, when you're beckoning to be part of us. Father, as we have our fears and our doubts, I pray that you would continue to encourage us and that we would come to a place as Mary had that would be able to say, if this is your plan, if this is the way you want it, then so be it. Father, let us accept your, your hand and your touch. Change us today. Help us to walk out of here, Father. And help us when we come back next Sunday, Father, Wednesday, or even Sunday night, that we would come here, Father, expecting you, embracing you with a sense of joy. Father, we look forward to the things that can be uh, brought out in this book. We thank you that uh, Luke is trying to explain things to us, and I pray that we would be able to come to that point in our lives where we can say that we would have a perfect knowledge of you. Not because we're perfect, but because, Father, you're with us. Change us and mold us and shape us, Father, as only you can. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.